I hope that uh, this morning's message encourages you as we uh, continue to look at Luke chapter 17. And uh, we're going to be in verses really 22 through 37 uh, this morning. I just want to kind of review last week. Um, and Jesus was talking, well, Jesus was asked the, the question, when is the kingdom coming? And, uh, and in answering that question or talking about that, uh, I really wanted to dr- draw your attention to the fact that the Old and New Testament are closely connected to each other. It's not rigidly divided into sections as some people want to think, but there is a continuity and connection that runs throughout the whole Bible. And one of the themes in, in all of Scripture is the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is coming. And Jesus told the Pharisees in chapter 17, verse 21, that the kingdom was in their midst. It wasn't in their hearts, it wasn't in them, but it was in their midst. The king was standing before them. But the Pharisees couldn't see this. Uh, it was invisible to him, and when Jesus kingdom was inaugurated it was an invisible it was a spiritual kingdom and in luke chapter 17 he's going to talk about the fact that jesus's kingdom the kingdom of god is coming at his second return and it's going to be visible it's going to be obvious it's going to be awesome and he is going to reign over the whole earth physically but right now, in his, in his first advent, the kingdom of God uh, is invisible. But it is full of fulfilled promises. And that's what I talked about uh, last week a little bit, about the promises that God's word made, God made to his people in the Old Testament. And this is something that you can take to the bank, church. When God makes a promise... He is going to fulfill that promise. Now just understand, it's not going to be in your timing. It's going to be in His timing. But when we look at the life of Christ and all that He, t- he did in His first advent, um, uh, Jesus, Jesus fulfilled many promises. And we looked at a few of those last week. One was uh, the promise to Abraham's seed. And who was the seed of Abraham that was going to bless the entire earth? It was going to be Jesus. Jesus is Abraham's seed who brings blessing to the entire earth. We looked at the fact that that Jesus is the true Israel. Obviously, Israel were the people of God. God considered Israel them his firstborn son in the book of Exodus. But Israel, the people, God's people, they failed in so many ways. 
They were unable to keep the commandments that God had given to them. And God didn't expect them to keep the commandments. The commandments were there to remind them of God's character, His holiness, and His nature. And when when they failed in keeping those commandments, what were they to do? They were to run to the altar to make a sacrifice because only the blood of the innocent animal could cover their sins and that was that was a shadow of of uh, of the perfect lamb of god that would be sacrificed for the sin of the world but we see in the new testament that jesus is the true israel he's god's firstborn son matthew points out in in um at the birth of christ where uh joseph and mary had to take jesus down to to uh uh, Egypt to be protected by Herod who was trying to kill him. And it was a prophecy of, of uh, Hosea chapter 11 that out of Egypt was going to come the Messiah, God's firstborn son, Israel. And so we see that Jesus is the true Israel. He is the unblemished final sacrifice that satisfies a righteous and holy God. We learn this in the New Testament, in Jesus' life, from what was promised in the Old Testament. And then we see that Jesus is the promised eternal king. Uh, he is the one who's going to sit on David's throne for all eternity. And so Jesus, God, in his holy word, is, is uh, preparing for his kingdom. And he's bringing together God's people in God's place to be ruled by God for all eternity. This is what God is trying to accomplish throughout biblical history and throughout our times today. And it's going to be culminated in, uh, in God's kingdom coming to earth physically one day. So, Jesus was wanting to answer the question to the Pharisees, Listen guys, I'm the king. My kingdom has come. But right now it's invisible to you guys because you don't believe in me. And uh, again, they have Daniel chapter 7 in mind when they ask that question. If you turn back to Daniel chapter 7... I want to read verses 13 and 14 again, again, because this is so important when it comes to the kingdom of, of God. All right? Verse 13 says, And I saw in the night visions, this is Daniel's vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. You need to circle Son of Man. This is descriptive of the Messiah. This is Jesus. And he came to the Ancient of Days. Who is the Ancient of Days? That is God the Father. And this is what the God, God the Father sent, the Son of Man. The Ancient of Days sent the Son of Man to earth. But it says, and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples... All peoples, not a particular people, 
not just the Jews, but all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 17, it's been inaugurated. I am the king, but you can't see me. But my kingdom, my physical kingdom, will eventually come. And why was why was the kingdom invisible to the Pharisees? Because as they were looking at Jesus, they were just th- seeing him as one of them. He was just a man. He was just like them. In fact, he was born into the world just like them. He was born, of, in fact, of illegitimate means. How could he be the Messiah? Is my microphone on? Test one, two. All right. All right. Not hearing myself. How can he be the king? Born of a single mom. Of illegitimate means. That's who Jesus was in their eyes. Do we have any single moms this morning in our service? I, I'm not seeing any in our service. But if you're a single mom raising a child or children this morning, don't feel like you're all alone. God, God knows your name. He knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus cares for you. Jesus has a plan for your life. I'm so grateful to Mops Ministry who reach out to all mothers and not just some mothers. Jesus cares about all moms. But here are these Pharisees and they're thinking to themselves, this Jesus can't be the son of man, the king of God's kingdom, because he's just one of us. In fact, he came from Nazareth. What good comes from Nazareth? Nazareth had a bad reputation. There's no way that this Son of Man can rule and reign over us. And yet Luke's gospel is pregnant of Jesus being the Son of Man. And we looked at that last week, and I want to encourage you to to look at it again. But there is going to be a day, Jesus says, where his dominion and glory and kingdom will reign for all eternity. We can take that to the bank. And so when you see in, in Luke chapter 17, the Son of Man is listed four times in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning. What's Luke telling us? What's Jesus telling them and us this morning? Hey, I'm that guy in Daniel chapter 7. I am the king. And now my first kingdom is invisible. It is spiritual. And then he turns to the disciples and he goes and says this, beginning in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Circle, Son of Man. That's Jesus. 
and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Again, circle, Son of Man, in his day, the second coming. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man circled again. Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And so people want to know, you know, when is the kingdom going to come? Jesus says, the kingdom has come. It is in your midst in verses 20 and 21. But right now it's invisible. And it's not fully consummated. It will be fully consummated at the end of the age. And so what is Jesus telling us about his kingdom coming um, permanently? Verse 22 tells us that his king, Jesus says that we need to wait patiently for the kingdom. His kingdom will come patiently. Look at verse 22. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. You ever have one of those days where you're just crying out to God, Lord God, come quickly. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that prayer. And Jesus says that we're all going to be praying that prayer because we need to learn to be patient in God's kingdom coming. Think about what believers all around the world are going through who are living in third world countries right now. 
maybe living in Muslim nations and they're believers in Christ. And every single day they live their life for Christ in fear. And they're crying out. They're praying, God, bring your kingdom. And they're not seeing it either. And Jesus says, there are going to be days like that. And it was the same in the Old Testament. In Psalm 55, verses 4 through 6, the Bible says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I would fly away and be at rest. Is that anybody's prayer this morning? Let me see your hands. Oh, come on. A few of you, if we're all honest, that's all of our prayer. You know, God just make me like the wings of a dove. Help me to fly away from this, Lord. But we don't, do we? God in His sovereignty allows His people to go through suffering. It's happened throughout biblical history and it happened most to the Son of Man, Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus says, first, before my kingdom comes, You're going to have to be patient about it. But first, verse 25, first, but first, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And we know the story, don't we? The Son of Man is the servant of God that we read in Isaiah chapters 48 through 53. When Jesus came the first time, Jesus knew he was coming to die. It wasn't an accident. It didn't get beyond Jesus' control, and this just ended up happening to Jesus. No, Jesus died on purpose. And if we go back to verse the first part of, um, uh, well, Luke chapter 17, verse 11... I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Luke says, on the way to Jerusalem. That's not filler. Jesus was on a death march to Jerusalem. For you and for me and for these. Jesus says, before there can be triumph, there must be tragedy. And my friends, before there's a resurrection, there is first a cross. And just as it happened to Jesus, so it happens for God's children. That is the principle of life. We like to talk about wearing the crown, but we first must carry the cross. 
Jesus says, before I come again, I must suffer. Before Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father, as our great high priest interceding for us at this very moment, he saw that, he knew that, and that's what kept him going as he continued to walk to Jerusalem. That was, that was his hope. That's what kept him persevering. That God was ultimately going to have the victory in this. Jesus is preparing God's people for suffering. And just as it happened to Jesus, my friends, we can expect It's going to happen to us. God is going to send the hurricane. I don't know how and I don't know why, but everything that happens in our lives goes through the filtered hands of the sovereign God. And in your time of suffering, you need to remind yourself of the word of God because if you don't know the word of God, my friends, you're going to crumble. You are going to fade away. Look at Luke chapter 21. This is uh, Luke chapter 21. It, the, what we know as the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 is a whole lot of what we find in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 17 and in Luke chapter 21. It's kind of cut in half. I don't know why, but that, that's, that's what it is. But look at Jesus talking to his disciples, preparing them, preparing them for the tribulation. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28. Again, it's on this idea of suffering. Verse 25 says, And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the, and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. I don't know about you, but I I hear this today. People are getting discouraged and defeated as to how Christians are becoming more and more marginalized in this country today. And I believe it's going to get a whole lot worse. And there's this negativity. There's this hopelessness. People fainting with fear And with foreboding going on for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And these are Jesus's words. And then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, cower and fear run and hide. Is that what the Bible says? Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up 
and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is preparing his followers, his disciples, us, for the great tribulation. That's how I interpret this passage of Scripture. I believe God's people are going to go through the great tribulation. Do I want to go through through the great tribulation? Do I want my kids or my grandkids or my... I don't know when it's going to happen. We may be in it today. And how many times have I prayed, Oh, God, give me the wings of a dove that I might fly away. And secretly we're hoping that we're going to be raptured out of here. I don't see that in the New Testament. And I know that there are people, godly people, who say that the church is not a part of the tribulation. And I hope they're right. And if we're raptured out of here in advance of the tribulation, I promise you I will, I will apologize to everyone who I thought taught otherwise as we're going up. But I don't see this in the Scripture. Matthew chapter 24, verses 19 through 29 through 31. Let's turn there for a moment. 29 through 31. The title of this in my Bible um, for this paragraph is the coming of the Son of Man. Circle that again, Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the signs of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the others. That word elect, to me, the the elect means the church, the people of God, not only the believing people of Israel, but the believing people of the church. I believe with all my heart, church, God, Jesus is preparing his disciples for suffering. And in suffering, If you don't know what the Word says, if you're not prepared through the living and active Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, my, how depressing those times will be. Jesus wants to give us great hope. When these things are coming, man, look up. Our Redeemer Redeemer draweth nigh. Our Redeemer lives. We are going to be victorious. That's the hope of the gospel. Jesus is going to win. But 
we must know these things. So Jesus says about the, the coming kingdom, be patient. Certain things must happen. Second, Jesus says his kingdom will come unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. Going back to Luke chapter 17. Verse 24 says, For as the lightning flashes, lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Verse 26 Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. What's Jesus saying in this passage of Scripture? The coming of Christ is going to be on a very ordinary day. It's going to be on a day that people least expect it. And he gives two examples. Jesus gives two examples. And understand this. Jesus is affirming both of these stories in the Old Testament. Some people would like to convince you that, uh, well, Noah wasn't really real. And the flood that came was just a geographical flood. It just covered portions of the earth. No, Jesus is affirming the story, the stories of the Old Testament, both Lot and Noah. And Jesus is saying the day that the Son of Man comes back will be a day when no one is anticipating it. And I find it very interesting in this in this passage of Scripture of how Jesus describes Sodom and, uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the cultures of uh, Noah's day and Lot's day. Jesus talks about their indifference. He doesn't talk about their immorality, particularly with Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the immorality. We're very familiar of the sexual sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. And my, how it's become, that culture is becoming more and more like our culture today. I wonder if they called it tolerance back then. I wonder if they... Um, had their parades like we have them today. and We're uh, proud of our diversity. God calls it an abomination. Jesus is saying when he returns, he's returning to a culture that's not necessarily caught up in sexual immorality. That's not what Jesus talks about. Jesus focuses on the indifference. 
they're just going about their day, their daily routine. They're not, they're not anticipating. They're not thinking about his return. Jesus says when he returns, it'll be like a lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other. In verse 24, it's going to be unexpected. So Jesus is telling his disciples, be patient. It's going to come at a time when you least expect it. And then number three, my kingdom is going to come, obviously, the second time. Jesus doesn't talk about a secret return. Jesus talks about the return. And when he comes again, it is going to be cosmic. It's going to be a streak of lightning, a circle of lightning that's going to encompass the globe. And everybody will know simultaneously that Jesus, the Son of Man, has arrived. You ever seen a lightning storm before? We've had a few here in the desert. And I remember growing up as a boy in Fresno and they didn't happen very often, but when they happened, they were memorable. And I remember looking out the screen door of the house in Fresno um, across the horizon and seeing, seeing the lightning and hearing the thunder. And I thought that was so awesome. I remember a, a, a youth camp several years ago. We were up at Big Bear, and there was, there was a storm. I mean, that low was right over camp. <laughs> I remember sleeping in a bunk bed. And uh, it sounded like, I, th- I thought the, the thunder and the lightning were just right above the roof. The next morning, we, uh, the counselors, we were all talking about the thunderstorm. And there was a high school boys cam- cabin that was scared to death. They were in tears and they were crying, God protect them. I think even some of them gave their life to Christ that that night. But Jesus is describing his return. When he comes again, Jesus says, it is going to be obvious. And when he comes, Jesus says, be prepared. Look at verse 29. Um, I'm sorry. Look at verse 31. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus is saying, when he comes again, don't run back into the house and gather, gather things. You know, kind of like uh, we've seen in San Diego with the firestorms this last week. What happens? People rush back into the house. They're, they have a little bit of time to prepare. And they go in and they get as many things as they can to get into the, put into their car before they leave. Jesus says, when, 
when he returns, don't go back in the house. Don't gather things. Run for your life. Remember Lot's wife. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, don't we? The angel practically had to drag them out of the city. And as they were fleeing, as uh, fire and brimstone was raining down on Sodom and Gomorrah, what did Lot's wife do? She turned and looked back, didn't she? Why did she look back? She looked back probably because she longed more for the things in Sodom and Gomorrah than she longed for the things of God. Her possessions were more important to her than the things of God. And Jesus is telling us about his return. Remember Lot's wife. Don't be possessed by your possessions. Rather, he tells us, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. My question to you this morning is, are you like her? I'm talking to men and women this morning. Do your possessions possess you? If God tells you to flee, are you willing to leave everything behind and follow him? Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, Pastor, I'm walking with Jesus. But I miss, I miss my old boyfriend. Or I'm walking with Jesus, but I miss my old girlfriend. Or I'm walking with Jesus, but I miss my old entertainment. I miss those things of the past. I think we can all say occasionally that we miss the things of the past. But if you're walking with Jesus, Jesus this morning is telling us, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. The past that you've left, you know what? It's raining fire, hail, and brimstone. It's all coming to an end. Keep walking with Jesus. And I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe you find yourself in your own little tribulation right now. But Jesus in his sovereignty is reminding all of us this morning, friends, that we're all going to go through it. He's going to send the hurricane. But in the storm, He is there with you. Just as Jesus suffered, so you and I 
will suffer. Now, you might be saying in this, Pastor, what about verses 34 and 35? I'm holding on to those verses. I tell you, in that, that night there will be two in bed, in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Pastor, isn't that the rapture? I mean, we're going to be rescued. Well, you know what? I do believe in a rapture. When Jesus comes again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says the dead in Christ are going to be raised first. And those who are let remaining on earth, we are going to be caught up with him. And I believe we're greeting him, welcoming him, and coming back with him in the new millennium. But when it talks about one is taken and one's left behind here, that's not referring to the rapture. These same verses are similar in Matthew chapter 24. The word taken is a word for judgment. It's not a good thing. You want to be left behind to welcome the Son of Man who is going to rule and reign for all eternity. This is my interpretation. And I hope that this passage of Scripture creates some healthy conversation in our church about the return of Christ. I mean, this is a very controversial subject. People want to know, and there are lots of different views out there. We have people in our church that, you know, when it comes to the millennium, some are amillennialists, they don't believe in a millennium, or they're post-millennialists, or they're pre-trib, pre-rapture, or post-trib, pre-millennial. There's lots of different views. And I would encourage you to do your own investigation of what the Bible says. But bottom line, Jesus wants us to be ready. And I would be doing you a disservice if the church is truly going to go through the tribulation. Like I said, I hope I'm wrong. But Jesus is preparing his people. Let's be prepared. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Word of God and how the Word of God gives us great hope. And Lord, I know that I'm guilty. I look at the newspapers and I watch the, watch the news and it's discouraging. It's defeating all the negative that's not only going around in different parts of the world, but is coming 
to our land is here on our soil. God, help us to be people of great hope and faith and know that our Redeemer is drawing near. The time is close and we don't have to be afraid. That can only happen if we know your word. We fall in love with the God of the Bible. Feed our faith. Lord, give us stronger backs, not wings of a dove that we might fly away from circumstances, but God, that we would persevere through them. And your word promises that you will shelter us. Even if we die for our faith, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We win. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see this with hearts of faith.